Hey there, my name is Ushin Lunny and this is Audio Matters, a weekly podcast on all things audio presented to you by Harman. This week's episode is all about car audio, how it works, why it's important and what's under the hood of the best car audio systems on the planet. So pull up to the bumper, hit the autobahn and we'll have fun, fun, fun until daddy takes the T-bird away with our trio of experts who are... Greg Sikora, the Director and Head of Acoustic Systems Engineering in Europe for Car Audio at Harman International. Stefan Varga, the Senior System Acoustic Engineer for Car Audio at Harman International. And Dr. Amy Belfi, Assistant Professor in the Department of Psychological Science at Missouri University of Science and Technology. Welcome all to the podcast. So at the time of recording, the world is gradually easing its way out of lockdown in many countries. And this means two things. One, my hair looks like Dr. Emmett Doc Brown from Back to the Future. We literally could be twins. And two, many people are rediscovering the sheer joy of driving while listening to great music and reconnecting with the soundtrack to the different parts of their day. But what makes a truly great in-car audio experience? Let's start at the beginning. Amy, your research focuses on the behavioural and the neural mechanisms underlying aesthetic experience and most specifically around music. And I know that you use things like behavioural studies, uh, psychophysiology and neuropsychological studies to understand this. So, I mean, no pressure, but can you explain why music is important to us and uh, why do we like it so much? Um. Sure, I can try. That's a hard, uh, <laughs> a hard thing to explain, and a lot of people are working on trying to come up with um, pieces of the answer to that question. Sure. So, yeah, some of my work is focused on. I like to tell people that I, I want to get at the question of why do we like what we like, which is essentially the question you just posed, and it's a big one. Um, the first thing to note that we've all probably experienced is that. People like different things, and that sounds obvious to us, but some of my work and the work of others has provided you know, empirical data to support that assertion that people have different tastes. Um, and the question of why are people's tastes different is it incorporates a lot of elements. It's you know some things that are um, that happen during development as you're growing up, you establish tastes at a certain point in your life, typically around adolescence. Um, and, and those, my work specifically focuses on how kind of those songs that you listen to at certain points in your life, um, are become associated with vivid memories of those times. So oftentimes we like music because it reminds us of particularly, um, vivid or, happy or emotional moments from our life. Um, so that association between music and, and kind of happy or joyful memories or vivid memories is one potential reason why we might like music. Um, so of course you can like a piece of music that you've never heard before in your entire life. So that's not the only explanation, but a lot of my work really focuses on that, um, aspect of music that it really is a is a good trigger for those types of vivid memories that we like to re-experience. Mm. And, and typically, you know, I mean, does it take you long to know if you like a piece of music or not? Or how quickly does that actually happen? 
Right. So I've done, um, I did a series of experiments trying to get at that question, which is how soon will you be able to tell whether or not you like a piece of music? So what we did in these experiments, we had people listen to really, really, really short snippets of music. And we asked them, okay, how much did you like that? It's, you know, a little blip. And then they got progressively longer and longer. And when they listened to a a long version, what we'd do is we'd see um, at what point in those short clips did their rating or their assessment of how much they like it match up with what they rated it when they heard you know a longer version of the piece so the question is if you only hear one second of a piece does that actually match your assessment of the entire piece of music and what we found was perhaps surprising but people were generally able to accurately assess how much they liked the piece within less than a second. Um, so that's extremely fast. And it, I like to relate it to when you're driving in the car and you're kind of flipping through the radio stations. You've, you know, you can do that pretty fast. And it turns out that those judgments that you make, those snap judgments are actually quite accurate in terms of how you would rate the entire piece. Now, Greg, you're responsible for the sound experience of Harman Kardon, Bang & Olufsen, Bowers & Wilkins and JBL automotive systems in Europe. And these are deployed by numerous OEMs or original equipment manufacturers. We've just heard there from Amy about the kind of mechanisms that decide whether you like a piece of music, how quickly you like a piece of music and, you know, why it's such a, a central part of our identity as humans. So what are the physical, perceptual and psychoacoustic considerations that connect this art of music that's so central to us with the art of listening? Take us, if you will, on the next stage of that journey. That's a complex question. I mean, what 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 we do in uh, acoustic systems engineering is basically fusing two worlds, the world of music, the world of art and uh, the world of engineering. I mean, you, you cannot really separate the, the, the two. I mean, I, I like to think about our job. I mean, we are at the service of, of music. I mean, the music is created by, by the artists. And our job is to translate the, the message of the artist, the intention of the, the artist, the emotions in that music into different environments. I mean, for, for car audio, we need to bring it into, into the car. Uh, but is that, that is also true for uh, engineers designing uh, speakers for your room or designing a uh, sound at, at large venues. Then when we go into this, this design process, obviously we have, we have constraints uh, that are related to, to, to the car itself, to the specific components. Uh, we have recipes for, for each, each brand. Well, we call it requirements, but I, I think the, the word recipe is just, um, uh, I like it more. But based on that, I mean, we, all the choices we, we make uh, in, in designing the system is always we need to filter that through how much benefit does it bring to, to, to music reproduction. I mean, engineering is an art of the compromise and our job is to, to make uh, the least amount of compromises to to create a, a great system. You spoke about the recipes for each brand. I guess that's the uh, the ingredients, the engineering ingredients to make this wonderful alchemy between engineering and art. Mm-hmm. Um, and and c- just moving on to you, Stefan, you hold a lot of patents and uh, pending patents in the field of sound reproduction in vehicles. And you've actually designed surround and 3D upmixing algorithms for the automotive industry, um, for OEMs such as Ford, I believe, uh, in close collaboration with B&O. So 
taking into account what Amy and Greg have just been talking about, tell us a bit about how to go about designing that last mile or indeed that last kilometer of the audio journey. Um, How do you bring it all together actually in the cabin of your favorite automobile? The last kilometer um, is actually um, a long kilometer, I would say, because there are several things that need to be in place to have a great sound system in the end. And in the end, I really want to, you know, pick up on what Amy just said. Um, uh, Everybody has a different taste uh, in music. And and I guess really my job is to um, make it possible for everyone to uh, listen to all styles of music there are in the world. Um, and we use thousands of music pieces to um, test the sound systems in the car and, and really make sure that um, all the styles sound great without you know having to do any adjustments or something like that. So uh, there are some challenges that we have, and, and I would say these challenges are, uh, um, uh, first of all, um, when you set, uh, set the design uh, uh, strategy, like Greg mentioned, uh, one of the challenges is obviously, you know, bringing speakers into the car. How many speakers, uh, for how many speakers do we have room in the car? Um, how big can they be? Where can we place them? We need to find, a, you know, a good orientation for the speakers. We we really want to, you know, put in speakers um, that uh, that cover the whole frequency range, right? From from the sub uh, sub bass frequencies all the way up to um, the highest frequencies that um, we can hear. That's about twenty kilohertz. Not in my age anymore, probably, but it's very age dependent. It is, and and then we have a certain process that we that we follow. Like um, we uh, we have an objective process and a subjective process where we use tools um, like microphones and and a measurement system to uh, make sure that the speaker um, you know works optimally. Um, uh, but also the subjective part, where we then sit in the car and and spend a lot of time tuning the system with different ingredients, like Greg mentioned, uh, that we that we use uh, for our recipe with different tools that we use um, to and to you know to uh, make the sound even better and more natural and and you will you will always need um, human ears to make this little you know this last adjustment, um, the subjective adjustment to you know make a voice sound natural, make this music piece that you know very well. Um, sound um, as it should sound. We use uh, a reference room for that. So um, I constantly switch between a reference room where I have the perfect sound, the perfect room, the, you know, um, I, I can transport that into the car. Wild. As you say, it's quite a complex recipe there. And uh, you guys truly are the master chefs. I'm pretty impressed here. We're going to come back to that. Um, Amy, we've heard about the the human aspect of listening, why it's primal, why it's important. And then we've heard some of the artistic engineering that goes into having a great listening experience in a car. But this comes down very much to human emotions. Music is all about human emotions and they're so important. And uh, I believe that Ford came to you and asked you to investigate why sound in, in the car is so important. Could you tell us a bit about that study and that work and uh, what you found out? Sure. So yeah, I did a study with Ford uh, and Spotify a couple of years ago, and we were specifically looking at how different types of music that you listen to during your commute can influence your uh, emotions and feelings, both during the drive and after the drive. So what we did in that study was we had Um, participants, uh, before they got in the car for their commute, they rated their current emotional state using a questionnaire. 
And then we gave them uh, a single playlist to listen to during their drive and different participants got different playlists. And the playlist um, systematically varied on two uh, emotional variables. So the two variables uh, from the psychology perspective are called uh, valence and arousal. But in kind of general terms, valence just means uh, the kind of emotional quality of the music, whether it's positive or negative. So positive valence could be happy, uh, but it could also be peaceful. And negative valence could be sad, but it could also be angry. And then the arousal level is a kind of a term uh, for the energy of the piece. So a piece with high arousal would be very high energy or, you know, faster tempo, whereas a piece with low arousal would be lower energy or a slower tempo. So people listen to playlists that either had, you know, high valence, high arousal pieces, high valence, low arousal pieces, et cetera. And so we had them rate their emotions before they got in the car, they got in their car, did their normal commute, listened to the playlist, then they rated their emotions after they got out of the car, and then for a couple hours um, throughout their day. So what we found was that the it turns out that the, the valence of the playlist didn't really have a strong effect on mood, but that it was more the arousal level. So the, the playlist that had the pieces with higher arousal or higher energy were associated with an increase in positive emotions after the drive. Um, so it, it wasn't really that, you know, the happy or sad sounding pieces influenced the mood or were associated with a change in mood, but it was more that the higher energy pieces were associated with a positive boost to the mood. Um, so that was kind of the interesting takeaway that it was the arousal of the music that really influenced people's emotions. Hmm. That's super interesting. My goodness. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's something that all of us music lovers know instinctively, but it's incredible to hear about some of the science behind, uh, you know, why, you know, we get the the hairs on the back of our necks stand up when we hear a certain uh, piece of music. Um, so um, coming over to yourself, Greg, uh, I'd be really interested to know, because you have a phenomenal CV. I mean, you've got experience in systems design, sound recording, reproduction, audio design, uh, music performance, acoustics, psychoacoustics, multimedia, broadcasting. You have a master's degree in audio engineering and uh, a master's degree in sound recording. Is this the perfect job for you? <laughs> the short answer there. It's pretty incredible. No, I, I just wanted to extend my time at a new university. That's all, you know. <laughs> no, no, it's it's just, you know, com coming from uh, from... I mean, there's there's audio or sound is it has so so many so many faces and uh, so many aspects. I was just just curious to to learn about, you know, what is what is how we can describe the sound from audio acoustics point of view, so physics point of view. Uh, but it's also fascinating uh, how actually your brain. So more uh, kind of first your hardware uh, responds to sound. So your ears, your your auditory nerves. And then the next level is is actually how how your brain uh, reacts to to sounds, and then later to something uh, co complex, uh, so complex uh, like like music. Um, yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, it's 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 difficult to 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 separate the two, especially in the in the job that that we are doing. Uh, I I like to think about this duality of of sound. I mean, on on one aspect you have sound as an acoustics uh, phenomenon physical phen phenomenon you know i mean sound is is nothing else and just you know 
vibration that is traveling uh, through, through the air. I mean, you hit something, you excite an object, an instrument, and then it just travels through, through, through the air and hits your ear. And then you have lots of processes going from your outer ear to your inner ear, uh, middle ear, and then to your inner ear, and then through the nerves to, to your brain. And this is, this is already science on, on, on itself, what, 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 what happens there. And, and that's then once the, the, the sound hits your ear, then, then you are talking already about the sound as a perceptual phenomenon. Mm. It's, I mean, there is this uh, philosophical dispute if the tree falls in the, in the forest, doesn't make a sound. Yes. Well, no. <laughs> it does. It produces the acoustics waves. Yeah. You know, you you can you can you can measure that. You can describe it, but the sound is only made when there is someone to perceive the the sound. The sound happens when it hits your your ears and then goes to your brain. Otherwise, if there is no one to experience an acoustics waves, there is no sound. Uh huh. So. Um, so, so, so the whole science of that is is basically uh, psychoacoustics, and that's that's also an aspect uh, of, uh, I mean, the, the the fundamentals of the psychoacoustic is something that we we do every day, as Stefan mentioned in in the sound tuning process. Uh, we are basically using different kind of tools and tricks to fool our brain to create an illusion of sound. For example, you you sit in the car and you feel that the singer is in front of you. Yeah, but there might be no speaker in front of you, so it's it's actually your brain creates that image based on the on, on the input. So that's that's psychoacoustics. That's this duality of sound. That's that simply fascinates me. That's incredible. I I didn't expect to get an answer to the question about uh, if a tree falls in the woods. Um, I think I'll I'll ask you next. Why did the chicken cross the road? I've been wondering about this for for decades. <laughs> That's, that's really fascinating. Thank you. Um, we're on such an interesting thread here, which is really the overlap between uh, psychology, anatomy, how the mind works, how humans respond to music, and the incredibly detailed, fine engineering that goes into the systems that that you design. Uh, talk to us a bit about how your engineering expertise is bought into the you know the quote unquote room of a car. And what kind of experiences you can have in maybe in a car that you can't have in other spaces? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, first of all, every car is different, and uh, and 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 uh, every car, uh, you know, has its own room characteristics. And uh, and I, I see myself as someone who um, designs an audio system in a small cabin basically, with a lot of speakers. Uh, and I would say this is one of the big challenges, as if you would design a, an, like a speaker system uh, with, let's say, two speakers. Um, uh, this, these could be in any room, right? So there, there are different challenges there. Um, so if you just design a pair of speakers, you don't know in what room they will be, um, um, you know, be used. Um, but uh, in 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 a in a car, you have you know all kinds of reflections from windows. You have um, uh, you have you have uh, the seats, the cloth seats uh, that you know take some sound away. Um, you have uh, 
um, a, a cabin uh, with seats that are not positioned um, in a so-called sweet spot, um, which just defines, um, you know, the ideal listening position um, in a room between two speakers. Um, uh, and and in a car, uh, you deal with a lot of speakers. You you don't just deal with um, four speakers, let's say two tweeters and two woofers in the front. You deal with a lot of speakers and and you you kind of had have to organize yourself in the beginning. You have to um, uh, set every speaker um, to the right sound. You have to work with every single speaker first, um, and uh, and make the speakers work together and not work against each other, um, and kind of create um, create a, a, a sound field um, in the car. And, uh, and, and th then there are systems that have speakers, you know, in the doors and in the IP. And there are also um, systems that have um, um, speakers in the roof even uh, for, uh, to open up in a third dimension, like to, to kind of have a height feeling, a more natural um, playback feeling. Um, so this is kind of um, one of the steps in the engineering uh, work to organize yourself with, with all the speakers that you have and make them sound great and then use uh, tools um, to influence your uh, psychoacoustics uh, in the car, your, your, what you perceive. Um, what Greg just said with the voice, um, you might hear a voice in front of you, although there's no speaker there. It's like if you wear a pair of headphones and you listen to music, um, where do you hear the singer? You don't, like when this, like the main singer normally, um, you hear from both headphones. So the singer is somewhere in your head above you. It, it has a spot that you cannot really define. Um, same as the, if you sit in front of a pair of speakers and you have an optimal position in a, in a you know more or less good room, um, you will have um, you will have a phantom image in front of you, although there is no speaker there. So we use um, tools like time um, and EQs to influence the sound in a way that um, that we can enjoy the music in the end. Yeah. That's super interesting. Amy, t talk to us a bit about the impact that uh, sound has on your driving experience. Because uh, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, could you reference some of that brilliant uh, research that you did, uh, which is about how music can affect your mood, not only on the journey itself, but, you know, does that, uh, does the effect of music carry on into your day? And uh, how does that work? Right. So, um, First of all, I just want to say you guys are making me feel like I should go back to school and get more degrees. I'm like, this is such <laughs> cool stuff. You guys, it's so cool. It's so interesting. I'm learning a lot. Um, but yes, yeah, so um, but as part of that study, we were interested in seeing not only how the music affects us while we're driving, but do those effects kind of carry on through the rest of the day? Um, so we did find that not only were people's moods uh, elevated after the drive, particularly those people who listened to the playlist that had the high arousing music um, or the high energy music, but that some people even throughout the next two hours reported elevated moods above where they were before they got in the car. And uh, I got the idea for this experiment from a study that I'm working on with a couple colleagues of mine who are clinicians, clinical psychologists, and a music therapist. And we were interested in doing a really strong test of this. And it doesn't have to do with driving, but I think it's it's related to the idea of how long does 
music have its effect on our mood. And so what we did was we wanted to study this in um, patients who have Alzheimer's disease. And we wanted to see, do these um, individuals who have very, you know, serious memory deficits, do they still show uh, increased mood after listening to music, even if they don't remember that they heard the music at all? So uh, this is a really uh, fun and cool study to do. But what we found was that even individuals who, so we had them come into the lab and they listened to music that would likely evoke happiness or sadness. And as you might expect, right after they heard the very happy music, they felt happier. But what we found was that even you know, 20 minutes after hearing the music, they still felt happier. But when we asked them what they heard, they didn't remember. Um, so I think this is a really strong, um, strong evidence for the idea that music has prolonged effects on our mood. And those effects don't even rely on our memory for the music. It's this kind of implicit feelings that we get from music that can outlast even our explicit knowledge that we heard music at all. So I think there's some good evidence that music has very um, profound and strong effects on our emotions and feelings. Yeah, that that's wild. That's so interesting. And uh, Greg, I'm just wondering, you know, coming back to that uh, the MasterChef analogy that I absolutely love. Um, you know, I believe this is something that you do. You're talking about bringing this great emotional experience to the fore in these, you know, beautiful cars with great sound systems. Uh, how do you go about matching the personality of the automotive brand with the personality of the audio equipment and brands that you're working with? I mean, do, do you do some matchmaking and some pairing the certain types of audio equipment with certain types of uh, car brands, etc.? How does that all work? There is a certain target group for, for, for cars. Uh, the, the description of a typical buyer or even can, it can be one, one brand, one, one OEM brand, but also different car types. And we have the same for our brands. So, so the first analysis it, it happens in that in that let's say marketing domain. Yeah. Uh, once once this analysis is is done and and we see a match uh, between a specific OEM and and the brand, um, then then we 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 cross check the you know the the requirements for each brand, and each each brand as I mentioned it has has a recipe, but it's not only a recipe from the not only on the on the subjective level how it should sound it's actually it goes more more fundamental we we have recipes for system design so what should be a speaker arrangement what kind of speakers um for some brands we we even specify the material of speakers or specific acoustic technologies um Either hard hardware technologies, but also um, uh, DSP, uh, digital signal processing uh, technologies. Mm. So it's a kind of a whole recipe uh, for the system, and together with with tuning, it defines the the the, the final outcome. I mean, continuing this this master chef uh, analogy, um, speakers, um, the amplifier. Are like our the main ingredients. Uh-huh. So if 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 you are let's say cooking a specific dish, uh, then maybe you want to use the the meat of a you know uh, from a specific region of 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 the of the country. Yes, 
for example, or you use uh, vegetables from you know a specific origin or spe specific type. Um, so this is we have the selection of of the components. Then then we have all that the DSP features is like our, our spices. So this is also I'm referring to what Stefan did before. Then in the tuning process, uh, so in the cooking process, you need to prepare all your ingredients before you you put them uh, together. So there is this preparation uh, period or the, the the process, and then the tuning, the actual tuning you could compare it to the cooking process how strong you want you want to have a base uh, in, in in your car uh, within the the, the general uh, accepted criteria i mean there there is such thing as a good sound uh, a faithful reproduction but there are still some margins um, that you can make the design choices I, I like to think about the tuning process that you are designing the sound experience and that that goes for how you use uh, your components. So it's a actually quite a long process. We we start working with 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 some OEMs uh, four to five years before the start of the production. It takes time. It takes uh, an effort from a lot of people. Actually, not many people realize how many people you have to involve, how many engineers, how many uh, project managers, and 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 the people with different knowledge from from different disciplines to to bring a sound system into into the car. Yeah, it's 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 a fascinating journey, and at, at, at the end, what matters is the music. Yes, that's that's what. <laughs> at, at the end, it's it's music that we want to convey the 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 musical message. Uh, to to our listeners, the listeners of, of 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 our car audio systems. Yeah, it's it's a really unique space in which to uh, to talk about sound design. I think it's a challenging space. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's a small space. I mean, uh, what 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 Stefan mentioned already. At least we we know where people are. Yeah. But then you have all that noise. You're, you're driving the car, you, so your system needs to fight with the with the noise. We have specific algorithms for that that also have to be tuned. How the system compensates uh, for for the amount of of noise, or with with some technologies, we can even even uh, cancel some of the road noise. Um, so it's it's a hostile environment yeah. to reproduce sound. But also offers a, a unique, very unique uh, opportunities uh, for us. Yeah, that, that's uh, that, that's so incredible. I mean, that that the five year life cycle is uh, is mind blowing. You know, the attention to detail. If if you think about the the whole chain of of the sound reproduction, you you have the artist in the studio. Yeah. Let's take a simple example. You have a singer. So. You start with the recording, so already by choosing the right microphone and uh, the room that you are recording to already has an influence on the sound. Mm. Then it goes into your uh, uh, mixing desk and on in in the in the control room in the sound recording studio, you listen on specific speakers, and these speakers have a certain um, uh, sonic quality, a character. Uh, you, your mixing board, the, the the plugins or different peripherals you use when you're working on, on that sound. Then you go through the whole mixing process, uh, the, the mastering process. Then it goes into broadcasting, on maybe it goes on on, on Spotify or on a CD on a, some kind of medium. Then from that medium, it enters 
the amplifier of the car audio system. And then you have the influence of the room, influence of the speakers, um, uh, the influence of the tuning of different algorithms. And then at the end, what you want to do is translate that musical message from that studio, from the moment it was recorded, to the passenger in, in the car. There is so much processing along the way, but yet still we can, we can preserve it to the, to the very high, high degree. This fascinates me, the whole journey yeah. <laughs> between the, the artists the, 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 the artist and your ear. Yes, yes. And the, and your brain, actually, I should say. <laughs> so, so this is fascinating. Uh, we all take car audio for granted, and to some extent, we all take music for granted. It's just always been part of our lives. Um, but why do you think that we even have music? Well, it's 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 difficult to say. Uh, there are a, a couple of, of theories uh, out out there, but the the, the fact is that that music um, is is a part of the of of human civilization, of human being. I mean, we we, we have some evidence. Um, uh, archaeologists found early instruments dated 40,000, 50, uh, 40, 50, thousand years. Um, so th- there is an evidence that we've been making making music, and even even in modern times, um, uh, there are some societies, contemporary societies, that have been. Um, have been not influenced by the modern civilization, uh, so basically, kind of um, being in a, a isolation uh, for, for for many years, still at the hunter-gatherer stage, and they also make music. Basically, we haven't found a, a civilization or a tribe, group, or whatever without music. What, what is interesting is that the the music and dance is has been connected for so many years and separated um, only only recently. I mean, I mean, separated. I mean, we still have music and and, and dance, but uh, um, let's say last uh, several hundreds of, of years, we also created this experience that you have a professional musicians and you have a concert hall and you go to the concert hall to to listen to to music. Before that music and dance was inseparable and it was accessible for, for everyone. Uh, par, par, part of the reason for, for that is actually the, the reptile part of our brain, um, uh, the cerebellum. Uh, one of the functions of the cerebellum is actually keeping, keeping the pace. Um, so, for example, when you run, you, you keep the pace. <laughs> you know, kind of, it's, it's keeping the, the rhythm. Without that, would be we would have no idea how to walk with a uh, fixed gait, uh, so fixed pace, and actually music taps into that region as well. That's why we tap our foot. Uh, that's what when we hear a specific um, music. I mean, in in the in a certain tempo, we want to move, and uh, or we want to we want to dance, and this whole connection also then translates into dopamine release and then increases uh, our our mood so music activates your whole brain there's no such thing as a as a music area in your brain it, the music experience is 
it takes your your whole brain that that's that's why it's it's so fu- fundamental to to who we are at the end Amy, does this in part explain why I can listen to music quite loud driving down the, the motorway into Barcelona, but once I get into town and the traffic's a bit more tricky, I have to turn the volume down. Is that something to do with that whole brain ownership of music? Um, well, I think it's especially related to the concept of attention and uh, kind of the idea that we have limited cognitive resources uh, that can be kind of deployed at a certain time. So when we listen to music, even if we consider it as like a background, you know, a lot of us have music on in the background when we're doing various tasks, including driving. Um, And maybe you don't feel like you're paying very much active attention to it. But yeah, as you mentioned, I'm guessing most of us who drive have had the experience of driving into a maybe a new place. You're looking for someone's house you've never been to or a new city or even you know a city you're familiar with, but it's particularly, there's an accident and there's a lot of traffic or something. And then in mm. those moments, you turn down the volume to focus more. And so that's a kind of intuitive way that we're regulating these attentional or cognitive resources so that when you need to use more of those resources to focus on a task at hand, such as driving in a new scenario, you can't dedicate any resources towards listening to music. So then you turn down the music. So when you eliminate that other distraction, in that case, music would be kind of a distractor from the task at hand and turning it down is our way of kind of regulating the number of stimuli in our environment so that we can focus on the drive and exclude the other distractions like the music. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking that, that, that this is probably also related to to the type of of, of music. Mm. It's uh, I, I can imagine that some you know very this ambient music might take the the it's it's basically designed for background listening. Might take less of your attention than some upbeat rock and roll. I've actually been really interested in this question and wanting to do some some studies on it, but I haven't gotten to it yet because I also suspect that it's your familiarity with the music too, right? Because we can learn, there's a lot of research on showing that you can learn to ignore distractors. Uh, So if you've had a lot of experience with a piece of music, my prediction is that you're more likely to be able to tune it out and focus um, than if it's a if it's a new or novel piece of music, um, or you know, alternatively, you know, if it's a piece of music that really carries a lot of emotional weight for you or is associated with personally significant memories, maybe that piece would be more distracting because you'd be thinking about all of the like good times you had while you listened to this song. So I think I suspect your point is correct that it really depends on not only the qualities of the music you're listening to, but also all the other associations you have wrapped up in the music. So some types of music may be distracting for some people, but not for other people. You know, the whole takeaway is that like, this stuff is hard to study because everyone is different in terms of what they like and how they, you know, respond to certain types of music. A topic of what, what kind of music do we prefer? I mean, there's so. I mean, we we call it a, a musical taste, but what it is, if 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 you break break it down, why do we like certain types of music uh, or certain uh, certain tunes? Why some uh, songs became a hit song and some don't? It's 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 really a, a also interesting discussion on on its own. Uh, what I learned is 
the music you, you like, it's a fine balance between familiarity. So the music has to be familiar uh, uh, to you. It cannot be, you have to have a context. Uh, so you need to know something about, uh, about the music, about a specific runner. But if it's too unfamiliar, then you won't like it because you, you don't really have a develop a scheme how to analyze the music. It's unpredictable. And we like, I mean, human beings in, in, in uh, overall, we like to predict things. It's actually very satisfying to predict something. So when you listen to music, you have a tempo, you actually are tapping your foot and you're predicting the rhythm. And, and that, that's a, satis it's a satisfying experience. But at the same time, if you can predict everything in the music piece, then it's boring. It basically gets boring. So the best songs are the songs that are fall into your familiarity, your, your education, your background, your knowledge about the specific music. But there has to be some kind of surprise element there. Something that may be a broken rhythm or maybe a certain modula harmonic modulation that you didn't expect. Or maybe um, an artist use a an instrument that you haven't heard before, or maybe it's a synthetic instrument that that just you know developed, synthesized, um, and that 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 makes a hit song. Either it's your personal hit song, or or it's a you know a, a global hit song. For example, one one interesting fact is we all know the uh, the Beatles song yesterday. I mean, apart from the the the, the words, uh, just analyzing the music, I, I recently read that it's actually the Beatles. Uh, this this specific song has a seven measures or seven bars phrasing. Typically, we have eight bars. It's divided into four four. You have this you know question answer and and then call response, but it actually has seven uh, measures. Wild. So that 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 make that makes it uh, interesting because it's different than everything else. And every time you listen, it violates your expectation. You think it's oh, this is I'm gonna have one more bar. No, then he starts with the with the with the second uh, phrase, and that your brain or your brain likes that. If it's too far away, we don't like it. If if it's everything is predictable. It's boring, so it's that fine balance that musicians uh, make to make uh, music interesting. It seems you have the right recipe for the next one-hit wonder, Greg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there you have it. Life moves fast, but sound moves faster. So maybe the secret to a good life is moving in the right direction with your favorite music. So thank you so much to Greg Sikora, Stefan Varga and Dr. Amy Belfi for taking us under the hood of great car audio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Audio Matters podcast using your favorite podcast app and check out our brilliant Tidal playlist chosen each and every week by our special guests with a few from me as well. Join us next week when we go through the audio keyhole to have a look inside some pro cribs. See you next week. <laughs>